0: iyo.com. Welcome back everybody to another episode of the Wavebreak podcast. I'm your host Dylan Kelly, founder and CEO at Wavebreak, a boutique agency focused on email and CRM for high growth and leading brands. What we do is we take an all-in approach to working with our clients and to build out truly best-in-class programs. This includes things that other agencies or in-house teams don't run or operate, including leveraging advanced features within inside Gmail so you can stand out in the inbox that 95% of brands are not currently leveraging today. This also includes deliverability testing and analyzing your inbox placement results to ensure that you're actually hitting the inbox. You don't have any emails or no subset of your audience is going to spam and so in terms of you know, thinking through your strategy, there's a lot of revenue being left on the table by brands because they have a very basic approach to email and SMS. It's very batch and blast, still, it's very set and forget it. But in 2023, like you'll learn in this episode, you need to get everything you can out of everything you've got. And most brands, even brands who think they have it all together, have another 50%, at least, more revenue within their email and SMS marketing program. And this can be unlocked through a variety of ways, but you have to know what you're doing. And at this point, we have experience in every single vertical, every single industry with inside of D2C, e-commerce, brands, whether you're retail, wholesale, doesn't even matter. You could even not be a D2C brand. And, you know, be selling software and we know what to do and how to move the needle for you through the channels of email and SMS. So if you want to learn more about partnering with us and how we can help you identify those gaps and then execute on them to close them so that you can maximize revenue this year and beyond, learn more by going to wavebreak.co. That's W-A-V-E-B-R-E-A-K.co. Today on the show, e-commerce leaders, it's the marketing podcast for high-growth DTC and retail brands, where typically I talk about what's working in e-commerce marketing with interviews from the fastest-growing brands. Today, that's only half true. Instead of talking about e-commerce marketing, although we do talk about that a little bit, we are talking with one of the fastest-growing brands. talking with Chase Ramey, who is the VP of Finance over at Organifi. And this is a really exciting conversation because one, I know finance is top of mind for many brands, profitability is a core focus. And so with that, I wanted to bring someone on the show who could speak to this firsthand, someone who's been part of the same journey you likely have over the last few years, been a part of the high growth glory days of, you know, 2017 D to C, 2016, 2017 D to C, um, you know, and then the ups and downs since 2020, where no year has been the same. And so we're talking about 2023 Chase's approach at Organifi to finance. We talk about everything from measuring influencer profitability and being able to calculate that and forecast influencers and how they do that as a bootstrap brand. That's something that I, I find really interesting, too, is like the aggressive growth that Organifi has been able to generate despite being bootstrapped and remaining profitable. So I think it's a great case study in that. And you'll learn, you know, the behind the scenes of how they think about the finances of the business. And they're able to do that um, as well as, you know, tactical strategy for 2023. We chat about discounting and inventory and marketing and like how to think about all these things and how to make sure every aspect of your business is ROI positive and profitable. And so uh, really good episode. Like I said, it's practically a 2023 crash course to finance sprinkled through with uh, Chase's and incredible stories from his life so it's a really great episode I hope you enjoy it hopefully you learn something from it and then hopefully you leave it inspired to tackle this year no matter what happens I think there's a lot of opportunity this year um, you know to focus on profitability and you know truthfully make more money than you have in years past in terms of profit um, you might not be growing you know at 5,000 million percent but that's okay. Um, And in this episode, you'll learn exactly how you can do the best that you can this year. And so let's get into it. Chase, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, man. Stoked to be here. Amazing. So let's, before we get into like the nitty gritty of finance, the current state of, you know, being a brand, let's walk through, you know, get, get listeners up to speed. What's Organifi and uh, also what's your background and how did you get involved?
1: Yeah. Organifi, uh, you know, I think we've been around for shoot, seven, eight years at this point, we're a superfood supplements brand in the pharmaceutical space. Uh, we've predominantly been 100% e-commerce, um, Organifi.com. Uh, we've got about 11 different SKUs, uh, most of them being superfood blendable powdered products that include vitamins, minerals, um, and adaptogens. You know What we've coined as, as, not we, but what the industry has coined as superfoods, um, all plant-based, all organic of highest quality, highest efficacy, Really focusing on clinical doses of some of these key ingredients and some of these key nutrients instead of kind of what we we like to call the fairy dusting approach, which is slam as many ingredients as you possibly can into a canister and uh, you know start start promoting each one of these things only to uh, many consumers finding that they're they're less efficacious. So um, yeah, and and my background, uh, I actually have a financial background, so I'm a CPA. Uh, spent about over five years at Deloitte um, from Washington State. So I was up in Seattle at Deloitte for uh, three years and then moved down to Southern California. I uh, spent a couple of years in the uh, San Diego and, and LA offices uh, in, a, in a host of different unrelated industries, um, life sciences, biotech, uh, power, energy, utilities, uh, sports and, and sports business management. So kind of got a, a host of different uh, exposure to industry, but It was actually through my own like health journey where um, I'm a former college athlete and kind of to continue to apply the workout and eat whatever you want lifestyle. And as I got closer to my 30s, I realized that there's a lot more to this health thing than just uh, exercising and and moving your body. And uh, through what some would call adrenal exhaustion, where I just kind of like hit a complete brick wall of my own personal health, I got introduced to the power of adaptogens and the power of superfoods. Um, through podcasters, kind of like the early podcasting days of health professionals like Sean Stevenson and, and Ben Greenfield. Um, and it was actually through that uh, route where I'm you know trying to fix my own health and my own issues. I hear about this you know brand new uh, greens product on the marketplace uh, called Organify Green Juice. And uh, sure enough, it's right next door to me in San Diego. This is like 2016, 2017 time frame. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm at Deloitte, I'm I'm working on, you know, different consulting gigs. And I see the I get the canister of of organified green juice. And I see that it's a San Diego company. I'm like, Oh, my God, and the address is like, you know, across the street from me. I'm like, I'm gonna go make these guys a client, I'm gonna go make these guys a client of mine at at Deloitte, and this will be fun. And sure enough, you know, one day at lunch, I go over and just like, literally just cold, cold call, cold knock on the door. And it's this, tiny little group of really, really fun people, health inspired individuals, some of the coolest people I've ever met in my whole life. Uh, we, you know, shoot the shit for a couple hours. And by the time I leave, I'm like, screw bringing them on as a client. I, I want to be a part of this thing. I want to be a part of this team. And so I was a consultant for a little while. Um, and then in 2018, I jumped on, let go of the Deloitte career and jumped into the startup uh, landscape, which was completely wild. There was really only a handful of us at the time. And, uh, yeah, the rest is, rest is history.
0: Yeah. That story is awesome. I love that. When you showed up and you knocked on their door, were you expecting like a hundred people in the office and like a normal size company? And then you show up and you open the door and it's like five people like, are you delivering our lunch or?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. And, um, you know, I've gotten used to like big sec filers at Deloitte and kind of what, what a stuffy, uh, public company environment looks like with cubicles and everything and and this was there was a basketball hoop and there was an archery <laughs> board and ping pong and and uh, there honestly there wasn't a whole lot of work getting done at that point in time um but but it was just a nutrient for me personally and and such a key component to my just finding my health and and my well-being was getting to know these people many of many of which of this small group uh it's it's a leadership team there still today and these people are my best friends like this is a this is a complete family dynamic for all the good and all the bad, um, and it's it's been some of the original thinkers and and creators from day one um, that that are still sitting and making decisions today.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. What a great story, and that's even even like more amazing that it's everyone's still there today working together, which is awesome. Speaking of like where the brand is today, um, like where can you go and buy Organify products? I know you mentioned you expanded to, I think you said eleven or twelve SKUs. Um, now the brand has expanded beyond like Organifi.com, like just to, just to kind of like set the frame of like, you know, there's a lot of moving parts of this business today. Um, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, we're about 98% online. Um, and that's spread across our website, Organifi.com. Uh, we have presence on Amazon. Um, and then we have, it's kind of underneath our website, but a huge partnerships channel for us. Uh, it does a, a huge portion of our business and that's what we define as. Uh, influencers which is you know through social or through youtube um then we've got podcast partners we have some newsletter deals and then we have kind of your traditional affiliate Mm -hmm. outside of that you can find us on a shelf at vitamin shop and so we've we've had a long history with vitamin shop um so you can find us locally at a, a host of different vitamin shops uh national but um yeah i think that that essentially sums it up um we are looking to expand retail. We have small retail locations, so you might find us at a local juice shop, or like a chiropractor's clinic, or something along those lines. Um, and that's a that's a channel that we we strategically grow when it makes sense. Um, but it's pretty small, all in all, as it compares to the to the other online channels.
0: Got it. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. Tell me about the the partnerships you mentioned. You have a few different components to that program. Is that like the majority of where like your strategy? Um, is that the majority of what your strategy is focused on and like, what does that partnership strategy, I find the word partner interesting versus, you know, influencer or UGC or, you know, whatever yeah. the word of the week is to describe that. But, uh, yeah, I would love to chat more about
1: that. Yeah. I'll back up a little bit and, and we uh, kind of the origin story of Organifi, our founder, Drew Canole, um, back in the early 2010s jumped on this thing called YouTube and Facebook, which was pretty, pretty new at the time. And, um, Filmed himself juicing, and he lost 40 pounds by juicing, kind of at the height of the juicing craze. Um, He then pivoted that whole concept into a physical product, uh, brought a small team of us around him to kind of get this thing kicked off. And we built our business on essentially an influencer model um, to then be supported and scaled through digital and social advertising on Google, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. And so that's kind of in the in the mid 2010s, late 2010s, really took the brand uh, to you know skyrocketing, right? Like these were frothy times when it comes to Facebook and Google advertising, um, and and with our reputation in the space, uh, really an early adopter of the kind of the the greens um, idea as a product, uh, really had a ton of success. All that being said, during this time frame, knowing well that this influencer model really really worked and supported our type of product mind you our product is a host of ingredients that you've probably never heard of they're long form words that have health benefits that take more than a, a five words to explain you know these are these are longer form in nature and we knew that by marketing this product through individuals who have long form content and platforms that allow long form uh, we would have much more efficacy uh, as far as moving the product as far as getting the product uh, to be understood, to be uh, what expectations we can articulate. And so we've always had a really strong ability to find niches in the marketplace as it pertains to other individuals like Drew, our founder, who are going to be able to embody what this product is all about, what our products are about, what an Organifi lifestyle is all about, be able to speak to it. And, And in many cases, they themselves are using this consistently as a part of their health protocol. And so even from early on, when we seemingly didn't need the podcaster relationships that we had, the social media influencer relationships that we had because of the digital and social um, uh, ad space that we were in, we always really found a beautiful place in the, in the kind of partnerships landscape to, to work with content creators and essentially have them as, as an extension of our brand and our products. And so to this day, despite kind of the roller coaster ride that it has been on, on the Facebooks of the world and the Googles of the world, when it comes to paid ads, we've really kept and maintained a healthy nutrient to our business in the form of our relationships with content creators. And it really is a partnership, right? We're we're a lot of times getting as much feedback as they are receiving from us as it pertains to, you know, what we can do better in in a collaboration. And uh, we've fortunately, you know, a lot of times, if you jump into this space now, and you're working with influencers, you're running through an agency, you're running through a very templated, um, a very specific sort of criteria as it pertains to sponsorships or commissions. And we we captured a, a nice set of uh, really incredible individuals who were early adopters to influencer marketing um, prior to having to go through any of those barriers. So we've really both both been able to grandfather in some of these direct relationships with content creators that you may not have access to now. As well as set a little bit of the success framework and criteria that I think a lot of other brands are now using today, Um, and and are really seen as kind of a a respected name. If you listen to podcasts, you know who Organifi is. Like, if you're following health influencers on social media, you know who Organifi is. And so we've got a really beautiful space uh, in that in that sort of partnership umbrella.
0: Yeah, and how do you think about those partnerships? Because like a lot has changed, like you said. Over the last couple of years. Like are you looking to partner with, you know, the Kim Kardashians of the world who have like huge followings and like drive a ton of engagement? Or are you looking for more like, you know, the niche influencers inside of health and wellness who, um, you know, maybe don't have that many followers, but they have an engaged following, like mix of both, or like what is the approach to you know finding those partners uh look like?
1: Yeah, uh, we have always been a self-funded company. So we've never taken on outside capital. It's literally been cash flow from business operations. And boutique rounds of, of creative financing. When I say that, I mean credit cards mostly. Uh so, <laughs> nice. so with that, we're always subject to a constraint being cash flow. With that, we haven't been able to make the huge brand investments that many others have in the space who've who've seen their cap tables change with some significant portion of, of investment. So with that, we always are. are we would love to entertain the Kim Kardashians of the world. Kim, if you're listening, you know hit us up. We're, we're, very, we're very interested. Um, that being said, we've got to be precise. And we've got to be very strategic. Let's. If we don't see return in 30, 60, 90 days, it's something that we just can't invest in, even if it is something that might be able to ROI nine months down the road, 12 months down the road, a year and a half down the road. So we have to be very specific. And we have a really incredible partnerships team at this point, you know, after having done it kind of ourselves as a smaller team for so long, um, that that are very attuned to uh, the types of influencers that are going to be successful for us. You know, these are people who are um, preaching, advocating, embodying and living a healthy lifestyle, a holistic lifestyle. I think the the days of quick fix, weight loss type marketing is, is really not appreciated or believed by anybody at this point. Like consumers are skeptical. I think the world is skeptical at this point. And so if the influencer themselves is not embodying what it means to have Organifi in your life and what a, what an organic lifestyle looks like, it's really not going to shake out to be financially successful for us uh, either. And so micro influencers, niche influencers, are really where we like to focus and where we like to lean into. Um, I think the the days of just like blindly looking at somebody's followers or subscribers and just assuming that it's going to shake out to be something that's financially successful or long gone. And, and for a group like us that's always had this constraint of financial performance and, and the need to cash flow, um, we have we've always built that sort of muscle when it comes to vetting the types of partners that we work with. And um, I think for us, it is. It's like, hey, who has a warm audience to holistic lifestyle living? Um, Hey, who kind of falls under the criteria? Like who is using these types of products? Um, Most people, um, if you haven't heard of Organifi, you might be warm to the idea of using something like an adaptogenic superfoods blend. And uh, so we've got a a great team who are kind of like um, doing a lot of blocking and tackling and quite literally sliding into people's DMs and, and hitting them up. Um, the product feature itself too, and the power of just providing a free product to somebody and, and who, who has influence and allowing them to experience what it's like to have it in their, in their lifestyle, uh, really does a bunch of the legwork.
0: Yeah, this is amazing. So like, how do you determine if somebody is going to drive an ROI in three to six months versus, you know, never, or, you know, nine months down the road, like you're saying, which is like, you know every month, every day, every dollar of a transaction matters in this business. Um, how are you determining that?
1: Yeah. And our, our team has a, uh, always a rolling kind of like quantification of, of what needs to be met in order for us to even like entertain a conversation. Uh, but at least from my lens, kind of on the financial side of things, there's a couple different approaches that you can take. And, and this is really what makes it flexible and meeting kind of the needs of the influencer. So we can look at just an upfront sponsorship. So let's just say it's, Hey, we're going to, just using just examples, five thousand bucks a month for four ad reads uh, on your podcast once a week, um, and depending on whatever whatever that upfront cost is, we can essentially look at hey, here's the fixed costs and the sponsorship. Here's roughly what we're going to see in cost of goods. Um, here's what we're going to see in the fulfillment. Let's throw in a couple estimations for refunds, for chargebacks, some of these other things that we're traditionally going to see. There's going to be some merchant processing fees. Uh, what products are they going to be doing ad reads for? Okay. What's our traditional AOV as it pertains to, um, this type of channel. And then we can kind of back into what we would need to see from a volume standpoint in order for that to be profitable, if that to them makes sense. And we're, we're really open about the way that we communicate, like, Hey, here's the expectation on how many units you need to move roughly how, what's, what's the, the level of volume that we need to see coming through, uh, post these ads. Um, we, we keep that really fluid and that conversation really dynamic. And then we can settle on what, what makes sense. If it doesn't make sense to have a fixed cost, like an upfront, like, Hey, $5,000 sponsorship, maybe we change that. Maybe it's just a rev share, which actually has higher upside for a lot of these partners. It's a strictly commission-based revenue sharing opportunity. And if the, the more they do, the more they make, uh, but it actually helps us a little bit from a risk standpoint, if we don't quite feel confident with the partner being able to, Um, like surpass the ROI needed on a $5,000 sponsorship, for instance, or we can do a hybrid of both, right? You can, you can have a sponsorship that's maybe a little bit lower, but then there's a commission structure associated with it. And uh, so we, we really do like play with a couple different avenues as it pertains to working with these groups. Obviously if the groups get big enough, they, their, their name and their brand speaks for themselves. And so we also are, you know, we have a pulse on that and we can accommodate a larger brand, for instance, um, when it comes to, to kind of the gatekeeping on working with them.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And how are you tracking the performance of the influencers?
1: Yeah. So we have always done discount codes, uh, or, and the codes are embedded also in specific product or landing pages that we curate designed for the partner. So if you're a large, enough par- large enough partner, you can essentially get a product page or a landing page that drives, maybe it's a bundle that, that this partner has decided is their favorite three products. And that's their offer. It's, you know, the page itself is tricked out in their branding, collaborated with ours. And they don't, you don't, you know, the user doesn't have to type the the code in to get the discount necessarily, because it'll be tracked. But if maybe you're a smaller influencer, like a really micro influencer, you've got a couple thousand followers, but these people are loyal, right? Like they're super loyal. This is, this is wildly where we see a lot of our success, especially when you start looking at percentages is these people who've got 10,000 followers or or less. They're super loyal. They have relationships with a lot of their, the people who follow their pages. And that's just a strict coupon code use. And so we can just track the performance. Um, We, a lot of times we'll set up tiers. So like, hey, if you move this amount of volume, your commission goes up 5% or uh, setting up different. Hey, once you hit to this point, we can start talking about upfront sponsorships. And so there is kind of like a motivational structure behind a lot of these as well.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, And then like, what minimum metrics are you typically looking for? Like, are you also like, you know, in terms of Instagram following, are you also like looking more into their actual engagement itself today, knowing that like, you know, I can literally go to type in buy Instagram followers and buy however many Instagram followers I want. And like, how do you kind of measure that?
1: Yeah, quite honestly, that's that's a question for the partnerships team. Like, I, okay. I'm not, I'm not. I forget you're on the finance on side. Thing. You know
0: so much <laughs> about this that I'm like, oh, well, cool. How do you do it? <laughs>
1: well, my, so, the reason I know, I've they've allowed me to, you know, get my hands in their their work a lot of times because the partnerships team is super cool at Organify and and they yeah. let me play around in there. I'm also I have a podcast myself. Uh, my partner, Megan uh, has a, is an influencer. And so she's got, you know, tens of thousands of followers. And so we're constantly like, I get to play kind of both sides of it. Um, And and like for us, for instance, like when, when other brands are talking to our podcast or our show um, we like to articulate beyond just like, Hey, here's our followers. Here's our downloads. Uh, We also like to say like, Hey, this is who we've worked with in the past. This is typically what we've seen. If you look at our followers and you look at kind of the, uh, the conversions, just even in consideration to our followers, you might be able to see some of that. So the more dialogue we can get into with these influencers, where they're actually equipped to be able to advocate for themselves, and and the ROI potential on themselves is even better.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great point. I guess like switching gears as well to like marketing in general. Like from the finance side, how are you looking at marketing this year? You know, we've had a couple interesting years. You know, we had the. The the e commerce COVID scare, it's like, oh crap, everyone's business is going to zero. And then overnight, everything took off. And then 2021, like the good times kept rolling for the most part outside of the iOS updates. 2022, you know, everything's getting a little bit more difficult. Like you were saying, advertising has gotten more expensive. How are you thinking about marketing in general for 2023?
1: Yeah, it's been a roller coaster, right? I mean, when. I started with Organifi, and and it was really towards the beginning of of Organifi's time. Um, I, like I said, these platforms were just beautifully frothy for for people in the marketplace, and there's probably a few different reasons, right? Like I think I think users maybe didn't know that they were getting advertised to in a lot of cases. We had a lot of content that was just really really authentic and didn't seem like ads to begin with. Um, there was more of a trust in larger institutions at that point in time that I think users and people in general just don't trust what they're seeing in a lot of cases, whether that's on the news, whether that's on an app or their their devices and, and these various platforms. Um, I think there's a million entrants into the marketplace. We were one of the original greens products that are out there. Now it feels like everybody and their dog who's in nutraceuticals will have a greens product. And, and are they aware of the fact that We've put hyper efficacious ingredients such that we could only pack ten to eleven ingredients in order for it to be felt by the consumer into one canister. It, that's harder to explain in a five second click clickable ad than it would be to sprinkle in twenty five different ingredients, thirty different ingredients at fairy dusting amounts, and then be able to list all of the different things that are in this product. So we've got a host of of, of competitors in the marketplace as well so these these things have wildly changed the dynamic fortunately for us we've always had this constraint of being self-funded and while i wish we had more of an ability to invest in brand and brand building which means it may not pay off tomorrow a month from now six months from now a year from now a year and a half from now um we haven't had the fortune like the fortune of being able to build that level of brand into Organify uh, organifi that being said we have been super super savvy and what that typically means is evaluating and finding growth at the top line level, in the at the revenue level, and in a particular channel specifically. And so for us, as we face 2023 and kind of this, this interesting transition in the marketplace, we are always looking for growth. Sometimes that is going to mean just small growth. It's small wins. Like, for instance, we're doing whitelisting and use HD ads for the first time, like really for the first time. We're, we're identifying this as an area or a potential for growth. Um, we're starting a host of different uh, social media aspects of our business that we really haven't leaned into. You know, social media hasn't been something that's been a revenue driver for us, so we're identifying growth. We're leaning into small retail, something that that you're going to find in you know, organic, maybe in juice shops or chiropractor clinics. Like I said, a lot of these peptide clinics or holistic health clinics are offering superfood products now, so there's white space there. If we can find wins, even even you know, we've got vitamin shop that does well. I think we're we're more and more interested into expanding into direct uh, wholesale or retail relationships at larger shops, uh, trying to avoid, you know, broker fees and consultant fees and distribution fees and some of these other things that you'll see in, in retail and wholesale in brick and mortar. Um, but if we can find winning growth opportunities at the top line level, all while, and kind of the critical piece here, all while protecting what we've earned in the form of profit, that's kind of our approach to 2023 this is an interesting time of of transition and uh, while we're at least from my lens going to be really really strategic and intentional about where we put investment and when i say investment i mean energy time resources money that we've earned in our business because it's not coming from elsewhere uh where we invest is going to be more critical than ever because yes it has to be something that has growth potential but if it isn't protecting what we've earned in the form of profit like on a monthly quarterly basis it can't be something we lean super hard into in 2023
0: yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and like you're saying too like the curse of being profitable it's like you guys probably felt so quote-unquote behind compared to some of the vc-backed competitors over the last couple of years it's like the funding rounds are crazy the revenue numbers are crazy but then it's like fast forward to now it's like the founder and six percent of the company it's gonna sell for you know nothing or go bankrupt or whatever depending on like who the company is and it's like turns out like you know the market just at the time wasn't rewarding true profitability in the way that it should have been and so i think it's a really exciting time i don't think 2023 is going to be like a crazy growth year like like years past but i think like the people who survive and you know do a good job this year and like you say protect the profit i love that um that you've built and not just like you know throw the money away trying to like keep the growth going or whatever um but yeah, I'm curious like how are you thinking about 2023? Is it like okay, we still want to drive double digit growth. Uh, obviously you've mentioned you're trying to be more efficient about like where you're investing your resources whether it be time, talent or uh money. Uh how are you thinking about this year like projections wise?
1: Yeah, it's going to be a we're definitely anticipating growth year over year. Um is it going to be, you know, skyrocketing? Let's hope so. Like like let's, that's, that's one, <laughs> I like that. One, like in in e-com and in D2C and, and when you have a digital ads brand that's kind of been been built on that platform you always have the potential of going viral and so like let's hold on and fingers crossed that something you know totally blows up right um that being said like it's it's conservative expected growth really healthy growth that will be indicative of legitimate business decisions that are that are made uh for the long term like i think i think the era of and it's probably the case of of going viral where something can go viral but it, it's less indicative of how mature the business really is, and does the business actually have the infrastructure to support that trajectory? So I think right. in a, in a lot of cases, and a bunch of other companies in the space, you saw them sort of pop off from a from a revenue standpoint, but lacked sort of the trailing infrastructure as it pertains to the back end of the business to be able to su- support and scale growth into the future. And so that's where you've seen a lot of these sort of roller coaster rides. Uh, with with D2C brands. I think for us, like you were mentioning, we've had pain points along the way being a self-funded business. We've had constraints along the way that have put the mirror up right in front of us to show where we had infrastructural gaps that we had to patch before we could go even further. And this was happening before kind of the macro economic landscape of the industry was starting to change and shift. So I think we're really set up infrastructurally to be able to support top-line growth and actually have it be indicative of a a group, of an organization that is as mature as the growth is suggesting.
0: Yeah, I think that's so true. I mean, brands are kind of back to being brands because it's like for the longest time, it's like, you know, it took a long time to build a law, to build a big brand in a large company. You look like the traditional, you know, fashion brands of like back in the day, you know, built over decade after decade to become what it is today. And it's like, oh, well, with D2C, it's like the thesis was, oh, well, we can internetify it. I just invented that word. We can internetify it. It's a SaaS company. Let's scale it. But yeah, like you're saying, it's like it's one thing to scale really fast, but it's, you know, it's like as quickly as these brands were, quote unquote, built. It's like if you didn't have a strong foundation, like you're saying, that really takes time to build and there is no shortcut, it's going to be you know, it's tough or you're going to have to reset expectations versus, you know, the way you're looking at it, which is awesome. It's like, hey, let's not count ourselves out. Like we've kind of actually been perfectly set up for this moment. We've run really strategically. And now like, you know, when we have the the chance to sprint, let's sprint instead of, you know, limping out or crawling out or not even making it out, you know, down the line. I love that. Yeah, no doubt. What about how are you thinking about like um, discounting this year? Cause like, I know, you know, it's on a lot of retailers minds over the last six months. Uh, you mentioned that's a key part of your strategy in order to track attribution of partnerships, but like how in general, are you thinking about discounting this year? And, and, and what's, I'm curious your take on it as the, uh, you know, financial brains of the business. Um, how, how do you think about discounting in general and then how are you approaching it this year?
1: Yeah. The way that I look at it kind of tactically uh, from my lens is we've got our paid media strategy for marketing our products. And that's uh, typically been like literally the largest bucket of expense in in our P&L. And discounting or coupon coding, uh, this can be everything from the partner codes that are used as well as our site-wide codes. Um, I think we have done a great job of ensuring that that strategy across omni-channel is consistent to where the codes that you're getting from partners the offers that you have for being like a VIP member of Organifi are all going to be really cohesive and supportive of each other. So you don't have as much gaming of the discounting system. And so I think with that approach, we're actually looking at discounting almost as if it's a marketing spend, like like it's paid ad spend. And then it's just a toggle between promotions and paid media and which one essentially has the biggest reach and the biggest impact you know, as we ride kind of the seasonality of the new year, people are taking on health commitments and things of that nature. We see less uh, of an effective marketing approach, like in paid ads, compared to just promotions where the invisible hand of the health marketplace is doing a lot of the pushing for you. And so as we, we look to that, the season that we're in right now, we see a lot of efficacy discounting. And so we, we might have a few more opportunities for people to creatively find savings on our website, or you might hear a partner offer that you may not hear for the rest of the year as it pertains to a particular product or a particular bundle of products, um, because we do have this invisible hand of the health marketplace that, that really does some of the lifting during this time of year. As that transitions, as that change, as we invest in new creative, um, you'll see more, more of a paid media approach, less of the promotional opportunities through the form of discounting later in the year, um, and, and it's, it's not that we're, you know, squeezing the customer for, um, more margin. It It's actually going to be something that, that is cohesive and, and built into what like a longer term relationship with our, our brand looks like. Um, I know discounting can be tough in the sense that it hurts margins, but the way that we look at it with like marketing spend is that we, we toggle both in a way that is like synchronized and cohesive across the entire P&L.
0: Got it. And so in thinking about that, like you're, if you, if you know you're going to discount, you're going to like be more efficient on your media spend, for example.
1: Yep. Yep. Got exactly. It.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And I know we're starting to like, you know, we're, we're covering a lot of ground and we're moving really fast. I want to quickly transition to, you know, similar topics. So it's like, okay, we covered marketing, we covered discounting now together. Like that means you're going to be selling through products. So how are you thinking about inventory this year? When like, you know, previously, you know, t- we haven't had a normal year in e-commerce since like you joined Organifi like 2018, 2019. Um, and then I was like, try to keep as much inventory on hand as possible was kind of like what everyone was thinking. And now it's like, you know, we even see with like the publicly traded brands, like they have too much inventory on hand. So how yeah. are you guys trying to, uh, you know, plan for 2023 given, you know, it's a totally new game.
1: Yeah. It's a very relevant conversation. Um, you know, when we really started taking off, uh, joined in- 2017 as a contractor in 2018 my theory had always been optimize the cash conversion cycle we're a young company we're all self-funded at the time we literally had no debt vehicles and so it was operating on a tight cash conversion cycle let's keep inventory as low as possible let's get the best terms that we can from manufacturers suppliers Um, let's let's optimize the ap turnover let's collect cash as soon as we possibly can Let's get our credit card lines as, as high as we can and play this sort of uh, roulette game across all of these vehicles to optimize our cash conversion cycle. And so with that, we kind of, as, a, as an ethos to the way that uh, the financing of the business worked as we held on to as, as little inventory as possible. Um, we fortunately were able to uh, invest prior to the pandemic and some of the supply chain issues Due to some of the terms and pricing that we were getting from ingredients uh, in in our products, such that we had little to none uh, out of stocks or shortages during the pandemic and and subsequent to that, and so we're still dealing with a, a healthy amount of inventory and haven't had those issues. Uh, big props to our manufacturers, suppliers, and uh, a lot of our supply chain operations team who were able to do that. And uh, now we actually get uh, you know a lot of these a lot of these platforms where we've been able to. Use credit facilities to essentially um, pay for various marketing and or inventory are are now requiring cash or uh, remove the ability to pay through like credit card vehicles and so we're really looking and at evaluating how we can finance our business through the balance sheet, which is something we really haven't done in the past. Um, we've done like cash flow based lending and some of these other kind of like boutique lending options. So we're actually leaning into now what happens if we finance the business in the same way that we try to preserve the the products and the product costs of the business by building up inventory. And so really looking into what inventory financing could look like at the company, which could make it actually complementary of holding on to more inventory if we're getting quite literally financed through the form of our inventory finished goods balance um, on the balance sheet. And so prior to this, we really haven't looked at, at any sort of traditional lending structure where you use the assets on the balance sheet to finance your business. It's it's predominantly been credit card vehicles, boutique financing, um, cash flow lending. And now kind of looking at transitioning and what that could look like if we had more of a diverse um, financing element that included some of these things like inventory on the balance sheet, which would then suggest it's in our best interest to build the balance sheet up uh, from the in- inventory standpoint. And, yeah, and then it true. would and then it would shore up inventory Should this market continue to be crazy from a supply chain standpoint?
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So like in terms of, I kind of want to rewind back to like that early stage too. Like you're like, we want to operate on a tight cash conversion cycle, you know, going over everything from inventory to optimizing AP, which I think is like a really nice, like one that like, I feel like a lot of founder types would like not quite think about, you know, I'll just throw it on the Amex and we'll figure, figure it out. Um, but, um, what about, so like back then, like how much inventory were you, were you keeping on hand or like how often, I, I, how did you think about inventory as like, cause you, you the brand grew really fast throughout this mm-hmm. time period as well. It's not like it's like, you know, slow and steady growth per se. Um, so like, how did you balance, you know, staying profitable while having enough inventory to support growth all at the same time, you know, of like keeping in mind everything, Yeah,
1: profitability. Well, we had very aggressive projections and targets, so that helped because uh, for what we were being all all of us were asking of ourselves to do, we also quite literally made it manifest by the amount of inventory that we purchased. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I wouldn't suggest that to everybody, but at the time, uh, it was hey, in order for us to hold ourselves accountable to the sales targets that we have. Let's shore, let's, let's shore up inventory. Let's lock in inventory to the degree that we're expecting ourselves to be in in nine months or twelve months. And um, th- that was painful from a cash perspective, <laughs> but, but it was also one of these other uh, kind of like necessary constraints that we we gave ourselves um, at the business. We've we've had some really incredible relationships with our manufacturers too, um, that have gotten creative uh, as to how we can finance ourselves through some of those big cash outlays for inventory. Everything from you know flexible terms. Uh, to the types of ways that we can pay when those invoices become due, uh, you know, I don't want to give all away the 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 secrets, all the secrets, but there's you know really creative ways that you can use various credit cards. Credit card companies have relationships with merchant processors who have relationships with platforms that allow you to float. You can turn a 30-day credit card into a 90 or 120-day float through a couple other interchanges for very small fees that can extend your. Uh, Obligations and can essentially optimize your cash conversion, so that you're hopefully selling through your products that that you've paid for two and three and four times prior to having to pay for them. If you can apply the correct uh, float and the the correct mechanisms in between,
0: yeah, that's awesome. I love the idea of just like manifesting the sales through just like ordering the inventory. I don't know. I I don't
1: know if I'd suggest anybody do that in 2023, but hey, we were a bunch of young kids. Making, yeah, our, making our sales dreams come true
0: yeah don't tell any supplier that because then they're just going to be the new sales just gonna be like so uh you know best case scenario what revenue you guys do this year that's perfect so that's what you got to right. order to uh to be <laughs> successful <laughs> no that's great and so you you said like you guys would order what did it sound like eight to nine months out
1: yeah and and we would stage them right like uh okay it, it would obviously it was a pretty fluid operation. And and we continue to have a lot of the manufacturers that we we started the business with, they've grown with us. And so they were really, it was a, a very symbiotic relationship, constant communication. Um, there were times where, uh, you know, it just took a person to person conversation in order to get something either done and or explained and understood where we need a little more flexibility and support.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. I love that idea. I, like you said, I don't know if it's the best for today, but I love that. I, I love like the idea behind the idea when you guys are like, all right, we're going to, we're going to make it happen because we have to. Um, that's a great story.
1: Yeah. Uh, I give, I give our, one of the co-founders, Jamel Bedahar, who was CEO for, um, a couple years. I give him all the credit. He, he was a, a advocate for building your own constraints. And, um, you know, if you build your own Necessities at the business—they'll—they'll they'll make it very clear on what you do and don't need to do. And a lot of times, those were financial constraints that made decision making quite easy because there was a clear way of success, and there was a clear like, uh, "This is going to be a distraction. This isn't going to lead to the to the performance or the output that we need." And uh, building your own financial constraints like that is is a is a really healthy, I think, think that thing that all companies can do. And if if you're muddying the waters on the back end with a host of different financing vehicles or funding vehicles, and you don't really have a clear delineation on what you're generating from business, like what your operating cash flows are that are driving from a profitable business operation, it's going to muddy the waters and you're going to be maybe missing some of the, the pain that you should be feeling along the way.
0: I like that. And then I also like the way that it just kind of really simplifies everything instead of trying to like, you know, go in a million different directions. It really, the constraints also like make you really focus on, you know, on every aspect of the business, which I think is like, you know, really important because like that's kind of the time that we're in right now in terms of, you know, there's a lot of constraint, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I like the way that you're looking at it with like, there's still, you know, with the potential for tons of upside. And this is kind of what we've been waiting for. As we start to wrap up here, what else are you thinking about in terms of, you know, 2023 from your lens at where it's like, you know, really unique in terms of like, you're deep in the weeds of the marketing, but at the same time, you're overseeing all the financials of the business from end to end, but curious, like any other general thoughts that you have uh, before we wrap up here?
1: Yeah, I'm really interested in where health and wellness and where nutraceuticals supplements goes. Um, I'm someone who, this is just a passion for me and I'm really getting less interested in the, or or I should say I less believe the brands that just have like your white labeled green juice supplement that I think many people for a long time, including myself would see something like Organifi on like a paid ad and be like, well, I saw Costco had a green juice for the Kirkland brand. I'm going to go grab this product that's less, you know, $40, $40 less than, than Organifi. And, and it's, it's the same. It's liquid salad. It's just powdered salad. And the more educated I become in health and wellness, which I think the entire world has had to through the pandemic, really put health, wellness, immunity at the forefront of their mind, I think they are starting to see and sense how much noise is in the health and wellness marketplace and, and the supplements space at large. And I'm really curious what the more intelligent and in tune consumer, as it pertains to their own health and wellness, will be asking for in the future. I think it'll exfoliate a lot of the fake, fraudulent, if you will, like what many con- know exists in the in the supplement space. These are the neon colored, like god awful pre workout brands, you know, that everybody in in the gym is using, and really starts to the, see what sort of lives on for, for long-term sustainable health. And um, I'm really curious to see how this all shakes out because I do think it's coming where the legitimate brands that have really deep levels of efficacy exist. And uh, like I said, like the products speak for themselves in the long-term and if you're not building long-term sustainable health, I don't know really if you have the ability to be long-term successful under this, supplements and nutraceuticals uh industry that we exist in
0: yeah i completely agree with that i mean it's like especially i mean even looking at like the celsius lawsuit that happened where it's like you know celsius has taken off over the last few years quote-unquote healthy energy drink labels not correct um you know all these different things and it's like you know they're a number they're top 10 energy drink on the market um you know that's just one one piece of the whole health and wellness space
1: and, and um, you're going to see brands like ours pair really well with with the evolution and technology that's that's here in the form of artificial intelligence, in the form of bio-individual health data that you can now start to see, like, we've had all these wearables and all these devices for oh, yeah. the last you know decade or so. And I think these are getting more and more bio-individual and kind of the next phase of this, and maybe it's through something like AI, where you're able to... Because health is so bio individual. And if you can get something that is more in cap, like capturing your specific health needs and know that there are acute ways through the forms of adaptogens and vitamins and minerals and some of these other superfood resources, you're going to be able to pick and choose very specifically. The consumer might be actually a little more inclined to look for some of the very long, uh, interesting named ingredients that are on our products. Um, Because they're going to be pointed in that direction more so than just, hey, go find yourself a good vitamin C. You know, there's going to be some nuances to this space that technology brings as it as it provides more bio individuality for health consumers um, that I think is going to be a really interesting thing to witness.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And even the strides in being able to monitor the effects of certain supplements on your body that you previously weren't able to without doing like crazy lab testing. Yep. Um, you know, some of the different monitors and wearables that they have, you know, that like literally, I don't even know how they do it, but you know, literally read yeah. the different levels of X, Y, or Z, whatever they're designed to measure within your body. Which I know a lot of similar people I talk to in similar same industry, but like different products. Like they're really excited because you know they're going up against the same thing, competitors making claims that aren't true, but you can't really prove it because. You know, it's like giving your dog vitamins like you don't really know if it's working, but you also right. don't want to stop doing it. But now, like you're saying, with AI and all these different technology, that's that's becoming more and more accessible for even like 50 bucks to monitor. Uh, like I was saying, X, Y, Z metric of your health. You can actually see what's working, uh, which is yep. really exciting for the people who are quite legit.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you got these you can pee on these sticks and get biofeedback immediately on an app as it pertains to vitamin and mineral levels. I think Vessel is a brand that does it. Um, there's now seven or eight really, really good at home blood and saliva tests. You can get the results literally in a week. And for instance, G- Organifi Green Juice, which has ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen that supports a natural, healthy level of cortisol release. People will get stressed. It's the stress hormone. Your stress is super high with cortisol. You can get a saliva test that looks at your cortisol, get the feedback in a week. There is going to essentially be, Hey, ashwagandha is the adaptogenic support that you're probably going to need for your cortisol. Here's the best list. Well, Organifi has an, a clinical dose of ashwagandha in their green juice. Like that's where we're hoping we can sort of bridge the gap with the technology space and and maybe even look towards some level of collaboration with some of those people who are in that space to come up with something that is really curated to the individual.
0: That's really awesome and really exciting. I'm really excited to see how everything shakes out the landscape of brands, the landscape of technology. We're at a really, really exciting time. Things are changing rapidly, but I think it's really exciting for the people. Who stick it out and make smart decisions, like you talked about today. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time, Chase, to come on the show. Where can people go to learn more about yourself as well as Organifi?
1: Yeah, um, Organifi.com. You'll have you'll be able to see all of our products. Uh, highly suggest my favorites, uh, Organifi Green Juice. We just came out with a crisp apple flavor uh, made with Washington State apples. Like literally, uh, my hometown is supplying the uh, the apples for this product, which is so rad and uh pure is my other favorite product then i use organifies chocolate protein all the time so that would be my top three and then um my podcast is called the medicine podcast uh it's it's actually this logo right here behind me intentionally uh, medicinal mushrooms is a passion it totally saved my life in a million different ways Uh, my partner megan and i are hosts of that show and we talk a lot about health a lot about uh health and wellness supplements but then we have kind of a wild relationship story ourselves childhood sweethearts we got married uh, in our 20s, we got divorced, I took off to Southern California. And uh, we totally organically at Expo West, actually, uh, natural products at Expo West in 2019, run into each other after three years being divorced, fall back in love over conversations around medicinal mushrooms and adaptogens. So totally separate topic. But uh, long story short, we, uh, we podcast and, and are totally <laughs> just dorks about uh, adaptogens and holistic health. And so you can check us out, uh, the There's no E on the end of medicine. Um, and then the medicine podcast spelled the same way.
0: Dude, your life is like amazing in terms of like fate, like the way you yeah. just literally yeah. walk across the street to organify after you're trying the product. And then that entire story, I don't even know where to start on that. I mean, holy crap, dude, you, I don't know what, what what gut you're following but keep following that thing man because you yeah, just man. seem to be figuring it out
1: <laughs> thank you yeah no it's been it's been a beautiful journey and uh all those little little nudges you gotta, you gotta listen to them right
0: yeah well can't re- wait to read your book in like 40 50 years <laughs> uh, right. that's gonna be really exciting to read but um yeah thanks so much for coming on the show i'll have to check out the podcast myself um i think that's super fascinating it'll be cool to see your i mean man you're 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 marketing your finance at the same time your your health and wellness so perfect intersection of everything for you here at organifi and thanks for sharing your knowledge and the way you're looking at this you know new era of commerce and yeah thanks again for coming on the show we'll link everything up down in the show notes below thanks for everyone for listening and once again chase thanks for coming on the show
1: thanks so much dylan
0: thanks for listening to this episode of the waybreak podcast Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day.